He's gracious. He's merciful. He's faithful. And He provides salvation. He brings the judges. Or He brings the prophets. Or eventually He brings kings. But unfortunately, this cycle keeps going on and on over and over and over again. Like I said before, if God was like us, we probably would have written them off. They're hopeless. They're useless. But He didn't. He provided the ultimate salvation, which is why Paul is saying this. He provided ultimate grace, which is why Paul is saying this. He provided ultimate mercy, which is why God is saying this. Keep in mind, the book of Romans is written from a Jewish believer's perspective to a bunch of non-Jewish people who are wrestling with one idea. Maybe it's better to be Jewish. Maybe it's more blessed to be Jewish. Maybe we'd understand and be in better graces with God if we were Jewish. And if you look at Romans through that, you understand a little bit more of why Paul says some of the things he says in the book. So he's dealing with people who are being tempted by what are called Judaizers. They're trying to make the Gentile Christians look more like Jewish followers of Jesus. The big one was circumcision. I mean, if that's the test, I don't know that a lot of people would uh, become followers of Jesus. But the, he was fighting against these, these people who were the Judaizers. And he was trying to explain to them that Gentiles are no better or worse than Jewish people. That's one of the big themes of the book. So it makes sense why he goes and says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Let's go ahead and, let's go ahead and back there. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. If he's trying to explain that everybody is sort of equal in the eyes of God, then why does he say the word first? I'll get to that in a second. But for the Jewish people, he was faithful even though they were faithless. For the Jewish people, he was gracious because they had continually sinned. For the Jewish people, he was merciful even though they didn't deserve it. And for the Jewish people, he brought them Yeshua T, my salvation, Jesus. But frankly, that's the same for all of us. We don't deserve it. We haven't really been any better. We're actually not better than that wilderness generation that came out of Egypt and wandered in the desert for 40 years. And by the way, the Bible says those people who came out of Egypt, they didn't even enter the promised land. God was judging them for their lack of faith. Even after they had seen the mighty works of God in Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, the ten plagues, after all of that, free manna fell in the wilderness, free food, water from a rock, defeat of enemies. After all of that, I don't even think we're any better. We definitely don't deserve His grace, His mercy, His faithfulness, and His salvation. But He is righteous. He is good. And His ways are not our ways, thank God. Now, if I didn't believe any of this, I definitely wouldn't be in ministry. If I didn't believe he was gracious, I wouldn't be in ministry. If I didn't believe he was merciful, I wouldn't be in ministry. If I didn't believe he was merciful to me, I wouldn't be in ministry. 
recently, I was, I was struggling with something. I was struggling with, uh, with pride. And, um, and the reason I was struggling is because I was really resting on my own abilities and my own pride to share the gospel with a few people uh, toward the end of last year. And they just dumbfounded me because they stopped me in their tracks. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details except to say they made me look stupid because I wasn't listening to them. I wasn't attentive to what God was saying during our evangelistic conversations. And I just, I was at a loss. And I got off the phone a few times and off of Zoom a few times going, what's happening? I've been in ministry for 14 years at this point. I know the Bible. I know Jewish apologetics. I know Jewish objections against Jesus. How in the world, if I can't even get through to this one guy, am I even in ministry right now? It's not that I was convinced that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. I was, I mean, his arguments were not good. But the fact that I couldn't get along with this guy, and by the way, he would yell at me, he would curse at me, he would hang up on me, and then we would still have conversations. That's a whole other story. So good, though. And God really sort of brought me to my, my prayerful knees to say, Lord, I've rested too much on my own sort of debate technique and my, you know, my own understanding of the Scripture to try to convince people without your influence. I've done that too long. I need you to be involved in this. And I need to be submitted to you. I put myself on His grace. I put myself on his mercy. I was doing the same thing that, I, that, that, that he rails against in the Bible. right? I was turning away from him, although not overtly, not following after other gods, but turning away from him that I was resting on myself. And so as I was dealing with this, I'm also sort of annoyed at the church I'm attending. <laughs> because I go to church one Sunday, and they know what I do. They know, you know... They know everything I do. They know the ministry I'm involved in. They love Jewish people, so they say. Uh, so they said. And then one morning, I see, you know, it comes up on the screen. It says, oh, you know, we're having a speaker next week from Israel. And he's going to talk about Israel things, whatever that means. And I go, are you serious? <laughs> are you serious right now? This is, this is part of what I do, right? Okay, fine. Then, pastor begins a new series. The new series is on Moses. And I'm already in a bad mood, but I go, really, Moses? Since when does your, this church you know, talk about Moses? You know, forgive me, I know you guys read the Old Testament, but a lot of churches are not like you, okay? A lot of churches really stay focused on the last quarter of the Bible. Thanks for that, that enthusiasm there. So I go, okay, my guy, my Moses, fine. Moses, great. I'm glad you're focusing on my guy. I should have been happy, but I was annoyed. And then he proceeds to give a message that I have given, I don't know, three, four, five times in years past. And I'm like, seriously, this is even my message. Like to the point where I'm like, did he hear my message? And make it a little better, to be honest. But did he hear my message? So I didn't say anything. I didn't, you know, I was quiet as we were driving home. Three kids in the back. My wife's next to me. And she goes, oh, this is a pretty good message today. I felt it, right? I felt it boiling up. I felt it going, uh-huh, uh-huh. So I looked at her and I go, did you like it the first time you heard it? And she looks at me and she goes, ooh, 
<laughs> I said, yeah, it was a good message because I've given it a couple times. There was no problem with the message. The message was fine. I was feeling attacked. I was feeling useless. I was feeling like, like I wasn't appreciated, and I was looking to everything but God to find that. Okay? My wife was very gracious with me, and I, I quickly confessed, which I don't often do, I know exactly what's happening in my soul right now. And she, she prayed with me when we got home. Uh, but she said, you know, you should go to the church next week when this Israeli guy is going to be there. I said, yeah, I know. She says, you know, because the Jewish guy is going to be at our church who doesn't believe in Jesus, which I did find out he doesn't believe in Jesus. You should be there. I said, I know. So I go to church, and as I'm going to church the next week, I'm praying, Lord, please prepare me. Please uh, prepare me to be a conduit of your wisdom, your knowledge. Help me to discern spiritually what's going on in this man. So, um, this is a long story, but it's a good story. I get to church. I'm sitting there. I was blessed. There was about 60 people there. Surprised the heck out of me that there were 60 people there to listen about Israel. Problem is, he doesn't show up. Looking at the watch, all of a sudden the pastor puts on a video of him from his YouTube site. Okay, and everybody's starting to grumble like, are we going to watch this guy on YouTube? I thought we were watching a live guy. So then I get the chutzpah. You know what chutzpah is? Chutzpah is like nerve, okay? I get the nerve to walk up to the pastor because he's about to put on a second video. And I go, hey, listen, if, and then he stops me, he goes, Ryan, would you like to share something? Sure. So I walk to the front, he introduces me very briefly, and I open the word. But I know that the people in this room are not going to know that this man's not a believer. They're going to assume he's a believer because I looked at his website, and he says so many good things that if you weren't attuned to it, you would swear he followed the Lord. So I, I shared with them about Israel, but I also shared the need to reach Jewish people with the gospel, both in Israel, but I also reminded them Israel's not just the land, it's the people. In the book, in the book, in the book, they're called B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel. So I'm Israel. I said there's like eight million of Israel here in the United States. Three hundred fifty thousand of them are in Chicago land alone. And they're kind of like, wow, really? I didn't, you know. And then as soon as I finish, he walks through the door. He comes up. He gives a wonderful presentation. I think God's gift to me was allowing me to share a little bit. And afterward, I waited till everybody left. And this guy's name is Ophir. And Ophir, uh, I, I introduce myself to him, and he quickly realizes I'm not sort of the average churchgoer. I'm an Israeli citizen. I'm Jewish. I know the Bible. Forgive me, churchgoers, you know the Bible. But I'm, I'm, I'm an Israeli citizen, and I'm Jewish. So we start talking very differently. And as we're talking, we're heading out to the lobby. It's just him and me and the pastor. And so I just go for it. I just go for it. I say, so Ophir, how do you do this? And you don't believe. And he goes, what? I didn't, I didn't fall for it. I said, well, you don't believe in Jesus. And he goes, well, not now. Not now. I said, not now? When will you believe in him? And he said, oh, well, when he comes again, I'll believe in him. And this started a 15-minute conversation. And the Lord has helped me develop this system, and I don't mean system in a bad way, where I pray constantly while I'm speaking to somebody else. Because I want to be 
with him above the conversation as well as involved in the conversation. And if you haven't tried this with the people that you love even, uh, who are believers, try it. It'll change things as long as you listen to him. So I'm attentive because I told the Lord, I don't want to be prideful anymore. I'm attentive. But keep in mind, this guy had just told the church that I attend with all of these things and led them to believe that he believed in Jesus. How do I know? Because one of the pastors in the audience said, well, can you tell me about something about the Messiah? Which is what Jewish people are technically waiting for. And, and what do you believe about Jesus? And his response was this, I love Jesus. I read Jesus. Does that mean I believe in Jesus? No. Now, if you heard that, would you assume somebody did believe in Jesus? This guy, now I don't know if he's good-hearted, bad-hearted, or if he was being honest about his argument. I can go into the argument later. It's, it takes a while. But, but he misled the church that I, I go to church with, the people that I go to church with. And yet, I wasn't mad at him. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't trying to put him in his place. I truly believe that God had grace and mercy and salvation for him. Because the righteousness of God is the righteousness of God. And if God uses me in this conversation to be one strong link in the chain of witnesses that he uses to bring Ophir to salvation in Jesus, praise God. So I call, you know, I, I, did, I did say, wait a second, but you said this, but you don't believe in Jesus. Meanwhile, the pastor's dumbfounded because he didn't know. And so as we're going back and forth, the pastor, it looks like he's watching a game of tennis, right? And words were coming out of my mouth that I didn't think of. He told me his methodology and all this stuff, and I said, well, if you read Jesus as you said, then what about when Jesus said this, this, and this? And he goes, ah. I said, finally, as I was walking, it was a friendly conversation. If you don't know Israelis, you wouldn't know that, but it was a friendly conversation. So at the end, I, something came out of my mouth. I said, Achi, my brother, if you say you will believe in him and you know he's coming a second time and you know he's the Messiah, and what I was basically going to say is put your, you know, put your faith where your mouth is. Why don't you today, Hayom, Akshav, right now, today, say, Ani ma'amin be'ashua. I believe in Jesus. And he looks at me. And he goes, because we don't think he's God. It's like I almost got through to him. Enough of the sort of uh, the beating around the bush, enough of the trying, you know, he knew where his pita was hummest, okay? He came to a church during a pandemic because no tourists are coming and he's a tour guide. He knew where his pita was hummest. He had an audience and maybe he does like Jesus. I don't know, but he definitely didn't have faith. But I knew that this man who sort of pulled the wool over 60 other people in that room, God could still love him. It's the power of my father. When he was first presented the gospel, he used very colorful four-letter words. But God still loved him. Some of you in this room, I'm sure, fought God for a long time, did horrible things that you'd probably be ashamed of. That's what Paul did too. Paul helped to murder Christians. Why does he say, I'm not ashamed? He says, I'm not ashamed because the gospel itself, in God's righteousness, grace, mercy, salvation, and faithfulness, actually lifts him up above the shame. 
it lifts him up. The Jewish people, it lifts them up after centuries and millennia of disobedience and lack of faith. It lifts anybody up over the shame. It is the power of God to everyone who believes. I like telling stories. <laughs> I know I've gone long. I'm going to end with this. To the Jewish people at least. Why? Jesus thought it was important. If you want to write these down, this is good. Uh, I'm not going to go through all these. But he said to his disciples in, Math, in uh, Matthew 15, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In Mark 21, where does he go to share the good news of the kingdom? He goes to the synagogue. He does it over and over again. It was Paul's strategy as well. We shouldn't forget the Jewish people. Where did Paul go every time he visited a new city first? The synagogue. Why? Because he loved his people, not because it was better. In fact, he usually spent more time with the non-Jewish people afterwards because eventually his people would kick him out. In fact, that's one of the reasons I came to faith. I watched one of those cheesy cartoon videos about Paul, and I kept seeing what he was willing to do even though they kept beating him and accusing him of things and defaming him, and spitting on him, and almost killing him. I said, wait a second, then this message is worthwhile if he's willing to do this over and over and over again. In Acts 13, uh, over and over again, he goes to synagogues. 14, 16, 17, 18, 19, all these chapters. He goes to the synagogue. He tries to reason with his people. He shares from the Word of God. And frankly, it's the flow of the book of Romans. Not only do we have one uh, sixteen. This idea of to the Jew first is repeated in chapter 2. Look at, look at Romans chapter 9 real quick. Romans 9.1. I tell the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience also bury me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Did he desperately want his people to know the Lord? Absolutely. He was telling this to non-Jewish people. He says, you think it's so great to be Jewish. You think you might be holier. Look, my people, by and large, don't know their Messiah. How great is it to be Jewish after all? Look at Romans 10.1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Look at Romans 11.1. 1. I say then, has God cast away... His people, certainly not. For I am, an, I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. It continues. There's so many more passages. To the Jew first and also the Greek. Why? Because Paul is an example. Because of God's righteousness, grace, mercy, faithfulness, and salvation, it raises you over the shame that previous, previously defined us. The things that we have done in our lives that we don't want anybody to know about, it raises us above that shame because we are united with him in the likeness of his son, the one who was raised from the dead after sin put him in the ground. If God raises Jesus from the dead after sin put him in the ground, what shame is there in us? There is no condemnation for those in Messiah. That's for Jewish people and non-Jewish people alike. Secondly, it's the path of Jesus. It's a Jewish message, this gospel. It's Paul's strategy, and it's the entire flow of the book of Romans. So my prayer is that 
like-minded people like yourselves, like other churches, won't even be concerned with whether or not they're more important because we know that's not how God works. It's that, to the Jewish people at least, it's a tragic irony that most of the people whom God used to bring the Messiah of the world don't believe in Him. And not just don't believe in Him, but they are vitriolically, vitriolically like opposed to Him. want to curse you out sometimes because of it. This is the type of ministry that I'm in. I believe that God is good. I believe that God is righteous. I believe that God overcomes the stupid pride of humanity. I have taken far too much of your time. I'm going to alert you to this. Many of you have gotten the opportunity to do this. If you would like to sign up for our prayer letter, uh, you can do that on this brochure that was given to you. We update you on people that we're working with, on uh, ministries that you can be involved with, on ministries that are going on in Chicagoland. I would ask for prayer. We're, we're planning two big outreach Passover services, one for young adults in the suburbs and one in downtown Chicago. If you find yourself in April in Chicago and you want to bring yourself and your family and maybe a Jewish person or two that you know, I'd love to talk to you about that. We're planning a large conference in October, also downtown. Um, and we've recently brought in a number of young uh, missionaries to Chicago. I am super psyched about that because it is right up my alley. Um, I'm working on a doctorate in leadership right now in ministry leadership. So uh, my heart is to build teams that uh, create communities that will reach the Jewish people with the gospel on college campuses, young adults, senior citizens, uh, children all across the board. So I could tell you a lot more. Um, give this to me before you leave. Uh, if you're interested, please write legibly. On the back with the menorah, if you know a Jewish person with whom you'd like to share the gospel, put their information here. Do not worry. They will not find out it came from you. <laughs> we will send them a letter, an email, a book, something, as much as information as you can give us. But that's a way that we can partner together because my heart is to reach Jewish people with the gospel. And if you want to help me do that uh, prayerfully, giving me contacts or even uh, partnering with us financially, we raise support so that we can do these sorts of things. I'd love to answer any questions afterwards. Let's pray. Avino Vimolcano, our Father and our King, we praise you and we honor you because you indeed are faithful. And in those moments where we think everything is lost, in the moments where prices are going up, in the moments where uh, the world seems uh, incredibly chaotic, and frankly, Lord, it is right now. We thank you for, for being steadfast, for being faithful, for being unfailing, for, for, for your loving kindness. I pray, Lord, that you would bless the people in this room. I pray, Lord, as in Genesis 12, it says, those who bless the Jewish people will be blessed. I can't think of a better way to be blessed than to bless the Jewish people than to want for their salvation and pray for it. So I ask, Lord, that you would um, follow through on your promise that you would bless the people in this room uh, with health and relationships in renewed prayer life, in desire for scriptural understanding, in jobs, uh, everything that you can uh, bless people with. And I also ask, Lord, um, because it is, it is on our news all the time right now, I pray, Lord, that you would stop what's happening in Ukraine. I pray for the people who are innocent uh, on both sides. I pray that uh, there would be no more deaths, no more killing, I pray that somehow it would just stop. And I pray especially uh, because it's my interest for the, uh, the burgeoning Jewish believing community and the Jewish people that are still living in Ukraine who are also suffering. 
You are faithful and you have been. So we ask you these things. In your son's name we pray. Amen.